Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers show. Now as children, we're not taught to manage our mental well-being. We just don't know how to do it. This is a key thought from today's guest mentor, Rob Stevenson. A chartered accountant and also founder of Inside Out, a social enterprise with a mission of ending the stigma of mental ill health in our workplaces. And together on this week's episode, we go on to deconstruct the stigma of talking about mental ill health at the workplace, the possible signs of potential mental ill health, three things we can do to recover from stress at work, and something that might very much interest our finance audience is actually how mental ill health might be affecting the company's bottom line, and we go into some numbers around that as well. So look, if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please, I encourage you to check out the timestamp show notes, which has more key quotes from Rob, and also resources that he mentions during the show that you can follow up on. If you want to know more about how to deal with the challenges of mental ill health in the workplace. And you can find those resources and more at sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 162. And if you did find the show useful, don't forget to subscribe and let your friends and colleagues know about it. We're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and YouTube. And mental well-being and mental ill health are very personal topics for, I know, a lot of members of our audience. So really delighted to have Rob on the show to help guide us. So without further ado, over to Rob on the show. So Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. And Rob, it is great to have you here. And I'm really excited about this because a lot of our listeners have been talking about mental health uh, challenges and finance were a very reactive function. There's a lot of stresses with uh, uh, periodic uh, deadlines, uh, month end, year end, uh, getting tax returns, audits. Um, and that's just in large corporates. You go into, um, I suppose, practice, there's uh, you know that sort of changing nature in terms of robots coming in, taking away a lot of traditional uh, activity, um, everything going virtual online and, and trying to keep up with it all. So there's a lot of stressors yeah. there. Um, um, and the great thing about having you on, you've got fantastic uh, experience with Inside Out and throughout your journey as well around mental health. And you qualified as an accountant to begin with. Uh, so would you mind maybe taking us on that journey and um, sharing a bit of that with our audience, please? Of course, no, it'd be my pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ticking a few of the boxes, aren't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I qualified with PW uh, bef- just before the merger um, with, with with Coopers. And I was uh, qualified in the, uh, the, the tax specialism. And I went on a journey from there of moving into the, the recruitment sector because I enjoyed dealing with people. And I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 30. 
But actually, looking back to when I was making that transition into the workplace, I put it down to a, a change from being a student and being at university to the more structured environment that, it, that is the workplace. And I didn't know I'd got a, a challenge with mental ill health. And I found that transition really, really difficult. And it was only later looking back and through through the eyes of therapy and my experiences that I realized, actually, this was my, my condition of mental ill health that was just making that transition even harder than it should be. But I can see signs of, of, of my experiences right through to kind of first year at university. And I, I tell the story about being alone in my hall of residence rooms and there's a knock at the door at about 7 p.m. and I freeze with complete fear and pray that I'd lock the door and and really hope these people couldn't come inside and come into my room. And actually, it was just two of my best friends coming to pick me up at the agreed time. I couldn't face them and I I did not know why. And there's many stories of that through my 20s and and both stories of then me either being the the center of attention or being totally locked away. And that's the, the extremes of bipolar disorder, which is a mental illness. And after I was diagnosed, I, I then learned to manage it. Over the years, learned that exercise is, is crucial uh, as a means of maintaining positive mental health. Um, sleep and prioritizing sleep is really important. Yeah, I give myself a score out of 10 every day. Today, I'm an eight. I'm great form. But I'm kind of, I'm using that to kind of almost track subjectively my mental health or my form. And I do that because if I'm a seven tomorrow and then a six, I kind of want to know why. And can I do anything to stop me being down as low as a four? Because if I'm a four, I'm depressed and I'm in bed for a few days and not functioning. So I learned to manage my condition, but did so under the radar. And that was with close friends and family knowing. And that was because of stigma. It was because of a fear of people perceiving me differently, um, fear of my clients who were predominantly partners in accounting firms of my recruitment business, you know, not wanting to give me business, fear of you know, my staff not wanting to work for me. You know, and and this, this is stigma. This is, this is why people feel reluctant to talk about mental ill health. And my light bulb moment came um, in 2017 when I heard a, a campaigner called Jeff McDonald speak. And Jeff told his story about anxiety, depression, and the loss of a friend of his to suicide. And I felt shame, really. I felt there's me, a successful business owner. And yet every week when I go and see my therapist, I put the word physio in my diary. You know, physio for years. My team must thought I've got the worst physiotherapist in the world, right? Who could not fix this back injury. So, you know, I, I decided to be open. Um, you know, those same clients that I was fearful of um, having that conversation with, I, I said, look, I'm being open about the fact that I have challenges with, with mental ill health and bipolar disorder. And those same clients would say, yes, you know, we've got a partner in our business who's currently out with something similar, or my wife has experienced this, or yes, I know a friend who suffers from something the same. And I realized actually, there's another way here. There's this movement of people being open. How can I contribute to, to furthering that? The thing I heard consistently at the time was we do not have enough of our senior leaders who are being open about their challenges of mental ill health, acting as role models to you know, almost normalize the conversation in the workplace. So I founded a social enterprise called Inside Out which is my main initiative. And what we do at Inside Out is publish an annual leaderboard of the senior leaders in business. So CEOs, CFOs, partners in the professions who have all got experience of mental ill health. It's affected their ability to do their job, but importantly, they are open uh, uh, about those challenges. And we published the first leaderboard in in, in March. So uh, yeah, delighted that we're, we're making an impact out there. I never really thought about it that way, Rob, but if you think about it, a lot of our senior leaders have an awful lot of stresses as well. 
but but how many really talk about them so i suppose from a leaderboard perspective i mean how how do you construct that or how do you encourage leaders to talk more about this because it's inevitably there yeah, absolutely. And look, it's important we make the distinction between stress in the workplace and mental ill health. You know, we all experience stress in our jobs. Stress can lead to mental ill health if we don't balance it with recovery. And I'm sure we can talk a bit more about that. But mental ill health can be anxiety, depression, or some of the more serious conditions such as schizophrenia. Uh, but there's a whole sort of range of conditions people experience. How, how do you get people to talk about mental ill health? I think people want to really, but are fearful of doing so. So the first year of conducting the work on Inside Out, it was like the biggest executive search I've ever done in my career, just trying to find senior leaders who were open about mental ill health and would be prepared to put their name to, to a list or a leaderboard. And actually, as I looked into it, there were quite a few people that were being open already. And then there were quite a few people who were open just within their workplace. But actually, when we put the concept of collectively putting our names to a leaderboard and being more externally focused, that the people jumped at the chance. So it was a lot of networking. It was a lot of making contacts, being referred to people. It was literally using the skills I developed in executive search, but in a, in a slightly different way. Excellent. And I suppose just on that one, I really appreciate you pointing out like that stress can lead towards it. And there is a different distinction. I mean, in terms of identifying potential mental ill health like there's sort of any indicators we can we can look out for maybe within ourselves and and with those that are closest to us. Yeah, I think it's really individual. Those signs can be quite individual, but actually in looking at ourselves, we can see things like you know, changes in our sleep patterns. You know, if we're finding it difficult to get to sleep or if we're waking up in the middle of the night and then we're ruminating about things that are going on in work, or if we're finding it very hard to switch off, to focus on our family, to be present in activities that we're doing outside of the workplace. I think you know, there's a lot of signals like that that can show that, that perhaps we're heading towards burnout. I mean, stress is and physiological stress, it's your flight or fight response. It's the stress hormones that we are biologically trained to release if our lives are in danger. But the problem is now we're not running away from saber-toothed tigers. We're getting emails, deadlines, clients, audits, year-end. All of these things are causing, causing us stress. But what we're not doing so well is allowing ourselves to recover from those periods of stress. So yeah, if you use that example of the saber-toothed tiger, if we run away and hide and the tiger goes away, then what do we do? We rest, we digest, we recover. In the workplace, often we're going from one stressful situation to the other. I think that stress can lead to things like anxiety you know, or burnout if we're continually not allowing ourselves to get those moments to balance the stress. So it's, it's some of the simple stuff like, are we taking a break from our desk? Are we taking our lunch you know, outside in the park on a sunny day? Are we going for a walk in the middle of the afternoon just to, to break up the day? It's, it's little things, actually, that can make a big difference if we do them consistently. I think the other point about how do we notice um, changes in our colleagues, we have a unique opportunity in the workplace. We see people for you know eight plus hours a day regularly. We do notice changes of behavior. We can notice if someone is looking and acting a bit more reserved, is not contributing in the way they might normally do, or might be contributing too much. Might be, you know, for me in a manic period of my bipolar disorder, I can often you know, want to have the last word all the time and I, my ideas need to get out there. So you know, we can see these changes of behavior. But because of stigma, what we, what we don't do generally is say, actually, are you okay, mate? Are you, how are you doing? You're not looking yourself today. Can we, can we go for a cup of coffee or a tea to have a chat about it? You know? What we do in the workplace is we say, 
yeah, hi, how are you doing? And then someone says, yeah, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm all right. And you've walked on. It's a ritual, it's a greeting, and it's not, it's not asking that question and answering it honestly. It's very surface, and I was just definitely relate to those occasions myself, Rob. Thinking a lot of teams now are, are sort of virtual, particularly in finance, with um, offshoring of a lot of transactional activities, and actually even some higher value ones as well. In terms of business partnering services, people are interacting more virtually. Is, yep. is there any sort of uh, tips, or you can sort of pick up on people there to sort of maybe ask appropriate questions and, and help them through things? Yeah, I think it's an interesting challenge with the way that we're working. So I did a talk earlier in the year for Deloitte to their tax management consulting group. And obviously, they do. You know, in the nature of that, they do have an outsource function and, and utilize professionals based in India. It was a really interesting discussion because we had people over from India at the time and listening to the talk. And how, as a manager, do you really get to know people that you are managing remotely? And how do you then put this good practice into place of of checking in with people and and managing, helping sort of notice when their, their well-being might be suffering? And I think it is difficult. I think we have to, when we manage people remotely, we have to get face-to-face time in to get to know them in the first place. And that's crucial. And I think then it's just actually having regular check-ins and, and not just check-ins about the work, but check-ins about the humans in our businesses that are doing that work. In that very discussion, one of the, the senior leaders was talking about a, a posting that she had to, I think, Hong Kong. But a partner in the UK would regularly just, just phone her up and say, look, you're, you're overseas, you're away. How's it going? How are you? How are you doing? And, and she found that care and that check-in really valuable. And I think that's, that's what we need to do. But it's very difficult to do if we don't invest the time at the start in building that relationship and particularly face-to-face. But it seems like there's an awful lot of upfront work to do as essentially a very human activity. Yeah. So uh, despite having technology uh, facilitate, facilitate it. So it's um, so sort of quite interesting. And I guess when we're sort of thinking about sort of mental ill health, and I know we've spoken previously, but you, you really helped change my perspective on this, Rob, because I just kept throwing up mental health. And because of that stigma attached to it, I, I remember hearing you use the phrase a good bit, mental well-being. Yeah. Like in terms of when you say that, it just got a sort of sense that it's more of a positive direction, a positive goal or or moving towards something that is got less stigma attached to it. I mean, how should we be approaching this in the workplace? Is it do we talk about mental health or mental ill health or do we talk about mental well-being? I mean, what's the best way of going about this? Yeah, I mean, language is interesting. Um, It's Mental Health Awareness Week uh, as we're recording this. And I've been discussing quite a lot with with people about the language to describe these things. And I think we need to be clear on what we're describing. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be clear on what mental health is. So often, if we say the words mental health, the imagery that people come up with in their minds will be those of mental ill health, of mental illness, Mm -hmm. of anguish, of, of black and white photos with people with their head in their hands, of people struggling. Now, that's not health that is ill health Mm. so if we're talking about physical health immediately we think of vibrancy we think of athleticism we think of healthy people Um, so the brand of mental health has got a real problem and i was with a I was with a communications agency this week in a, in a workshop and I said, look, you, you guys have got an obligation here to, to try and change the brand of mental health because it links to a fundamental issue that people in, in our society have kind of have come to believe that it's, it's binary. We're either mentally ill or we're mentally well. And most of us are mentally well, so we don't need to worry about mental health. And those poor unlucky people who are mentally ill, um, there's a stigma attached. Now, actually, the most important statistic 
I think that exists. And there's lots of stats around mental health that are, that are put out there at the moment. The most important statistic is one in one. 100% of us have mental health. And if we accept that, we can then get into the thought process that we can influence mental health like we do influence our physical health. And there, for me, there's a real opportunity of how we both look after ourselves, but how we approach mental health in the workplace. Because mental health is not just about looking after the people who are struggling with mental ill health. You know, the agenda is about well-being. It's about mental fitness. It's about the health of our minds. And actually, what are we using in finance functions, in companies you know, to do our jobs? It's our minds. Yet most of the focus on management is on our, on our physical health with mm. you know, health insurance, etc. So if we can you know, get over the fact that, we, look, we all have mental health. We all have good and bad days. We all experience things like bereavement, uh, relationship breakup, which will impact our mental well-being. So we can all influence them. Can we then create the type of cultures in our workplace that allows us to prioritize mental well-being and try and move up that curve towards the thriving category. Because I think that is one of the biggest performance gains that we can make as organizations and the people within them. Actually, funny when you mentioned culture and then sort of gains, you know, this is a, a finance, a numbers show. So like, are there any sort of indicators or, or directional numbers out there that perhaps suggest prioritizing this is good for the bottom line too? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you look at the cost uh, of mental ill health in our workplaces, I think the latest estimate for the UK economy as a whole is 105 billion, which is a staggering number. But if you look at the costs in the Stevenson Farmer review of mental health in the workplace, thriving at work, um, it was estimated that something like 46 billion was attributable to employers. And then if you break that down further, and I can't quite remember the exact number, but the bigger cost um, of that 46 million was something was presenteeism. Mm -hmm. So that's people in the workplace who are doing their jobs, you know, they're turning up, but they're underperforming because of mental ill health. And that number far exceeded uh, the numbers for, for absenteeism, so people out of the workplace. I'm just pulling the numbers up now, actually. So the presenteeism cost is estimated at 17 to 26 billion. And if you compare that with the absenteeism cost, which is 8 billion, and, and staff turnover, which is another 8 billion, the bigger cost is actually employees who are turning up to work every day and doing their job but just not doing it as well as they could be. Mm -hmm. and, and actually, if you, there's a, a, another good figure that can sort of put it into context for, for employees is the cost per employee in the workplace, and this is everybody in the workplace, is 1,500 per year. You can look at how many employees you've got in your business and multiply that by 1.5K and get an idea of what mental ill health is costing your business. Actually, you know what? It, it is interesting when you think that that's the problem. I don't use the word low-hanging fruit, right? But I feel I think we all want to have meaningful careers and, uh, and a great future and a sustainable future as well. I just find it interesting that companies invest so much in robotics and technology nowadays. You know, what if they were investing similar sums in people's uh, mental well-being? You know, what, what type of return would we see? Yeah, and I think that is absolutely the big opportunity that, that I'm talking about. Why, in that case, are people not investing mm. and companies not investing in, in the well-being? And I think, I think there's a few reasons for that. I think, firstly, kind of the whole mental health agenda is relatively new. It shouldn't be, but it is for, for companies. So the Royals did a great job in, in 2017 getting mental ill health on the agenda of society. And that has kind of forced a number of companies to think, ah, we should be doing something about mental health and mental ill health. Naturally, what businesses do is focus on the, the kind of recovery side, the people who are struggling with things like EAP systems, mental health first yes. aid, awareness raising, which is great. We need all of that. 
But you know, your, your return on investment for uh, an EAP system is around one-to-one at best. And this was from the analysis that backed up Steve, Stevenson Pharma, which was done by Deloitte. Whereas actually the return on investment for some of the preventative solutions that have been analyzed out is, is thought to be around six, seven, eight, even nine to one. So why are companies not investing in that? It's new. And also, actually, it's really hard to work out what to invest in. And this is the challenge. So bringing it back to my personal experience, because I've got a disorder, because I I have bipolar disorder, over the years, through trial and error, I've needed to work out what works for me. And I've tried a whole bunch of things, and I've narrowed down that the crucial things for me are exercise, prioritizing sleep, making sure I'm socially connected with my family, giving myself the rating system, and and using mindfulness. Those are the sort of main ways that I I manage my condition. Now, I've had to do that because I've got a disorder, and it's effectively saved my life to do so. Whereas if you're in that category of having moderate mental health or you're languishing, so you haven't got a diagnosis, you haven't got a disorder, but you're certainly not thriving, you haven't had to go through that. Mm. And look, we're not taught to manage our mental well-being as children. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to do it. Mm, no. So so the problem the employer has got is that actually, you know, somebody in a call center might have a very different need um, for a, a solution of preventing uh, mental ill health coming their way than somebody uh, in, in the front line of an investment bank or in a business development function or uh, a human resources function. And even within those same functions, it's still very individual. Mindfulness might work for somebody. Somebody else might need to prioritize doing a bit of good in society to get a sense of purpose in their life. If you're the budget holder for mental well-being solutions from a pre- preventative point of view, where do you invest your budget? And even if you try to meet, you know, uh, 10% of all the solutions that are coming onto the market, you'd never get your, de- your day job done. So it, it's a really interesting challenge. So I think it's a great opportunity and it's a, it's, it's a great challenge. So declaring an interest here, I'm part of a technology platform called Better Space. Better Space helps to try and solve this solution by acting as a marketplace, but an intelligent marketplace where there's a well-being questionnaire at the front end that suggests what people might want to try to improve their mental well-being and then at the back end there's a curated database of solutions that are proven to be safe that are proven to work and then the people can select with an employer assigning a budget so i'm pretty excited about that we've just done a pilot with with linklaters uh, with really encouraging results and i think that could be part of the puzzle in helping organizations you know, kind of crack that problem of where to invest I think the other part is education and it's educating people that actually you do have this mental health uh, and you can influence it. So let's, let's try and work out you know, how you can do that. That sounds like a fantastic uh, concept, a bit of technology. So um, so we're going to have to get that off you for the show notes, Rob, um, yeah. make that available. Um, but I, I, I suppose in terms of, in terms of then like, you know, you've been giving us great advice, but I'd also love to understand what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received. That is a really good question. So where mental health is concerned, the best bit of advice um, I've received is that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk about your mental health wherever you are on that continuum. And if you are struggling, it is okay to talk about it. Because what I've noticed is when I was struggling, but keeping that to myself, there's an added pressure that is put upon your shoulders of trying to be something you're not at a time when you're really struggling. And that 
just makes a, a kind of vicious circle that makes how you're feeling worse and the guilt of yeah the guilt of phoning in and saying I've got a bad back today and I'm not coming in when I'm struggling with my mental health just just actually makes what I'm going through harder to deal with we're challenging stigma and we're trying to create cultures where it's okay to talk about mental ill health but the best bit of advice I've received was it, it's okay to talk about your mental health and your mental ill health great to hear you saying that Rob I imagine a lot of our listeners, I probably include myself, we were brought up, I suppose, told not to talk about the, those things um, by our parents. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, like if you if you go and knock yourself, I mean, I think rugby toughened me up a, a, an awful lot. Like I was a very soft uh, child. But, but like, I suppose, you know, a lot of us that um, that have, have had to deal with that, like, I mean, are there any sort of ways we can we can break out and have, find the courage to actually take the step? I mean, sharing these stories is one, I guess. But is there anything else we can do other than just tell people? Yeah, I think in, as men, you know, we 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 struggle to open up, and I think we need role models to to help people to do that. So you mentioned rugby. Uh, yeah, there's yeah, some great movement with rugby players um, and other sports professionals in, in who are seen as tough, you know, high performing, uh, of sharing details of their own challenges. Because in all walks of life, we find mental ill health. Mental ill health. You can be a rugby professional who is physically really tough and has really strong resilience and drive and experience mental ill health because the two are very separate things. And mental illness is not weakness. In fact, there's you know, there's a great book called Mental Illness is the Curse of the Strong, I think, mm. something like that. Mm. I rode the Tour de France uh, last year on, on a static bike in various different workplaces. Yeah, that's a really hard thing to do. It's a really hard thing to train for physically and mentally. And I experienced a mental illness. And, and that's kind of why I did it, to make that connection. So I think we need to look to our role models. We need to confide more in our, in our friend groups. And we need to just get the, the language of mental places. I think we still need more senior leaders who are acting as role models, which is kind of back to my work on Inside Out, what I'm trying to do there. Because once our leaders speak out, it starts that process of culture change to allow us all in those workplaces to, to speak out when we need some help. Fantastic advice, Rob. And I suppose you mentioned um, a resource there. Uh, any other sort of resources you'd recommend our audience go check out? There's some great resources out there, actually, that are, that are free as well. So, you know, the Samaritans um, have got a, a free tool called Wellbeing in the City which is designed to bring the listening skills of the Samaritans into the workplace. So that's kind of an educational online tool, which is free and it's, it's brilliant. As employers, there's the Employer Gateway on the Heads Together campaign, which sort of collates a lot of resources and case studies out there. Organizations like City Mental Health Alliance uh, are worth looking at. I would say the Minds at Work Network in London is, is pretty good as well. So there's lots of resources out there. I think what we need is people, though, in our workplaces, you know, championing this agenda. And I'd, I'd like to share a, a sort of case study that, that involved a CFO of a business, if I may, yeah, that, that, sh that shows how this can, this can happen. So the, the HR director of three, the mobile phone business, is a wonderful lady called Amanda Lambert. Amanda was on my Inside Out leaderboard, and her challenges of mental ill health came to a head in a board meeting uh, where she broke down. Uh, she was in tears, but she stayed in that board meeting through the day. At the end of the day, the CFO at the time was a guy called Woodward. He's now the chief commercial officer of three. And Richard came up to Amanda and he gave her a handwritten letter with details of his own challenges of health anxiety. And he gave her the number of his therapist and he gave her a hug. Now, he'd said to Amanda, look, I think you might need this. I think you might be going through some things that I've been through. Richard had never disclosed 
that to anyone outside of his wife in the past. Now, that for me is a beautiful story of vulnerability and leadership that Richard did that. Amanda then ultimately called the therapist and recovered and came back into the workplace. And they came back in, she came back into the workplace and they both then shared their story with the business. And what that did, that vulnerability as well and that story, it changed the culture of three to one where immediately a number of people put their hands up and said, I'm struggling. Got adjustments to their role and changes to, to help them stay within the business and do their jobs. But then it did something amazing. It changed the culture of the business that allows people to prioritize this well-being and the mental health proactively that we've been talking about. So for example, they have something called Wellbeing Wednesdays, which obviously sounds quite good off the tongue, but what it actually <laughs> means is, is that people are encouraged not to put uh, meetings in the diary over Wednesday, Wednesday lunchtime. And what that allows people to do then is anything to prioritize their well-being over that time. But you know what happens? People actually just get together over lunch and talk as humans and connect, which is amazing. So again, yeah, a lot of these solutions for me are really simple, but they, they start with the vulnerability of leaders sharing their challenges. And then it, then it, it goes into sort of culture change that allows people to, uh, to be able to prioritize well-being. Thanks, thanks for sharing that uh, case study. That really hits home for, for finance, Rob. Uh, really appreciate you doing that as well. And uh, comes back, I think, to where we started our conversation, which was the importance of uh, senior leaders speaking out about their own challenges and sharing and just doing simple human things like that. It's, um, it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I suppose, Rob, in terms of if our audience want to continue the conversation, uh, where's the best place to connect with you at? Yeah, so um, I'd love to talk to anybody that is keen to uh, you know, either find out more about what we're doing, or indeed, if you are a senior leader that would like to talk about going on the on the leaderboard. Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, Rob Stevenson, and then my website is uh, inside-out.org, where you can see details of this year's leaderboard, um, details of, of our work and what we do. So yeah, we'd love to love to connect and love to have a conversation with anyone that's interested. Right. Thanks for those details, Rob. And also, I meant to get off you the better space details as well. Is there a way of accessing that too? Yeah, we're sort of in pilot phase at the moment. So I think, again, I've got information that, that I can send out. There's not really a website for Better Space yet because it's literally, we, we've done our first pilot with Linklaters. We're in pilot with another few. There's, there's one project that I'm working on with it that's worth mentioning called the, something called the Big Wellbeing Data Project. So what my job with Better Space is to collect uh, 10 or so organizations who put, put about 10,000 people through the platform but what we're looking to do is work with uh, Deloitte, hopefully, to um, really prove that return on investment case and create the data that CFOs out there can say, right, look, we can use this to stimulate that investment in preventative well-being. So McKinsey did something really similar for climate change. It's called the marginal abatement curve. And they showed uh, return on investment or payback on everything from loft insulation through to nuclear power and everything in between that would, re would reduce carbon emissions. And I understand that the CFO of BT at the time said, brilliant, this is what I've been looking for. We will do everything that's got a two-year payback. Invested a whole bunch in, in, in time and resource in, in doing that and reduced their carbon emissions significantly. So we want to sort of prove that for the mental ill health solutions. So again, 
yeah, contact me via email or LinkedIn and I'll uh, I'll give you my details for that if uh, if anyone's interested in having a conversation about that too. That's brilliant, Rob. Thanks thanks again for going through that. And I suppose, look, um, before, before we wrap up, would you have any sort of final parting thoughts for our audience today? Yeah, absolutely. My final thought, and, and as, I, as I'm recording this, this interview, I'm sitting in my cycling attire <laughs> and I'm about to go uh, on a bike ride that I've scheduled in. It is... Make sure in our days we prioritize something that we do for our well-being because it will pay back in dividends. And for me, it's a bike ride, but it could be just as simple as going for a walk at lunchtime. Let's do some of that and we will be happier, more productive and ultimately higher performing people. Yeah, I, I love that, Rob. And I challenge our audience to do exactly as you just said there. Um, so, um, so again, please share your stories of how you've been able to do that. And I will be following up on LinkedIn and making sure we're doing it. So, uh, Rob, thank you so much for investing your time with us today and coming on the show. Absolute pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs, There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers. 